Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a very special guest on today. Um, we're going to skip some of the regular stuff that we do. We're not going to do any news. We're, we're going to cut go, right to the chase. We're going to cut right to it and give you guys the good stuff. We've got Valentino Balboni, the chief test driver for Lamborghini from 1968 to 2008, right. calling into the podcast in a little bit. Um, so you may you may remember we actually did a history of Lamborghini episode. That was episode what was it seventy four I think. Yeah, something like that. And um, we had a we, journalist call in to talk about driving a Mira and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, this kind of like trickles through the world and uh, to the point where we get to have Valentino Balboni talk to us about doing exactly that much more. His uh, extremely humble beginning with Lamborghini and becoming an absolute legend. An absolute legend. Absolutely. So I, I'm really looking forward to talking to him. So he's going to be calling in in a little bit. Um, that's, I mean, that's that's all we got. I mean, that's that's about. <laughs> we it. could talk about our projects and things, but that really would seem silly compared to having Valentino Balboni on. So I think we should probably just let's just get, get right into it. Let's just get right into it, guys. Enjoy. Awesome. Before we get to that, though, we have to mention our sponsor, Renline. We partnered with them to offer an awesome discount. Um, I have some beautiful parts from Renline, as you know, to Chris's dismay. But, you know, you can't get around it. All their products are extremely high quality and beautifully machined. And that quality really is illustrated by the fact that they guarantee every single product that they create. You can get Renline design performance parts for your European car, including, of course, Porsche. They've been in business for the past 20 years and developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of Porsche enthusiasts. And as I mentioned before, what really sets these guys apart is they aren't just another distributor. All of their products are designed and engineered in-house right there at Renline in Vermont. So be sure to check them out at Renline.com and use the code OVERCREST, not OVERCREST with a two, just OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order. And you also get free shipping on orders over $250. Mr. Balboni, how's it going, sir? I'm okay. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Am I on time? Yes, you are. You're you're right on time. That's uh, it's perfect. We were we were. I was imagining you sitting in like a uh, a big leather chair with like a, some sort of Italian beer, like a Peroni or something. Just <laughs> just looking at like your watch, just waiting to call in. So <laughs> yes, you're you're right on time. Not this time. I'm sorry, Chris. Not this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it's maybe still next, maybe next one. Yeah, a little early for a beer yet. So, what are you doing? And what's it, what's going on in Florida? Were you at Amelia Island or? I yes, I was in Amelia Island, Amelia Island for the Concours d'Elegance, visiting friends, and then um, then I went to. Uh, to Austin in Texas because I had to meet a customer over there a couple of days to do some small things on his cars. And then I went to San Francisco for another customer and finally in, in Miami, in, uh, yeah, in Florida, yeah, back in Florida. Well, wow. You're heading back to Italy this week then? Tomorrow at this time I'm flying and flying back home. Tomorrow at this time I will be on a plane. Yeah. Where's home for you in Italy? Where do you where do you where do you call home? Uh, Bologna, Bologna area. You know, in between Bologna and Modena, a small village uh, outside, very quiet, called Casumaro, and I'm living there since I was born and living there. Right on. Yeah. I've been uh, I've been to Italy once. I was in Fuji. Was where I was where I stayed. It wasn't like Rome or anything. It was just like a really small town in central Italy. It's a it's a beautiful place. Fuji, Fuji. You said Fuji. Yes. Yeah. 
Fuji is a beautiful thermal area, if I, if I remember correctly. So um, you grew up in Casumaro. Is that how you say that? Casumaro. Correct, yes. Born and grew up in Casumaro. Yes, yes, yes. What, what was that like uh -huh. in the 1950s? What was, what was Casumaro like? Oh, you mean my village? Yes. Well, a small village, you know, very quiet, no industry. Everybody was moving on the next villages for, for work. So, you know, very peaceful. Everybody knows everybody. And, uh, see, I mean, easy, very easy life. What did the Not much, you know, typical small village? What did uh, most of the young men at that time end up doing with themselves as they got into their teenage years? Well, you know, we used to go to school in uh, in uh, bigger villages, not too far away from our, and you know, everybody then took his own way. You know, I was the only one of my friends going towards a car business. Everybody else moved in a different directions. You know, many of those following father, you know, old business, so keeping on with the with the family business, but not me. No one in my family was devoted or dedicated to cars. No one, no one. My dad was a carpenter, and my mom was, you know, taking care of the house and working on a field, as you say. Right, right. So um, what expectations did you have for yourself before? Obviously, we all know that you ended up at Lamborghini. But before that, what what did you think you were going to be doing with your life? Um, honestly, I, di I, don't, I didn't know what I was doing, what I was going to do. I, you know, I wanted to do, you know, parachuting. I wanted to do this kind of challenging things. <laughs> but uh, for a reason or another one, I never ended up doing that. So I was doing, uh, you know, temporary works just to help my family. Because, you know, in Italia... It's difficult to get an employment before you do your army service. Hmm. So before you go to army, which was compulsory on those days. So, you know, b below 18, 19, very difficult to find a working place, you know, a, a fixed working place. Hmm. So I imagine that this is kind of post-war time. It was the economy was probably struggling a little bit and... Um, do you remember what any of that was like back then? Um, you remember what you said, Chris? Uh, what was the economy like after in the post-war Italy? Well, you know, it was it was increasing, uh, was increasing, and I tell you, uh, Lamborghini also exists because Ferruccio Lamborghini, uh, being our area considered from the Italian government depressed area with no jobs. Ferruccio Lamborghini started his main business, which, we, which was tractors, uh, you know, um, asking to the government for, for, uh, you know, for money to build a company, and the government gave him money, let's say, without, uh, without paying tax on top of those, and he built a company which was a tractor company, and this is how we started the business, because our area was considered a depressed area because no job, no works, no companies, nothing. 
So what were the, as you're growing up in that environment, what kind of cars are you seeing drive around? What, how are people transporting themselves? Is it a lot of bicycles and Vespas or is it cars or what are people driving around at that time? Well, you know, normally, <laughs> normally small bicycle, Vespa, Fiat 500, Fiat 600, Fiat 100,000, you know, 1100, <laughs> very small car, and then Auto Bianchi, uh, you know, very, very small cars. My friend had an Auto Bianchi Primula, which was the most powerful car on those days, I mean, the most affordable car on those days, Auto Bianchi Primula, you know, front wheel drive, amazing, was a <laughs> kind of, you know, big technology. <laughs> so let's let's get into move into how you, you know, you started at Lamborghini now. So you're used to seeing cars like that um, driving around. So tell us what it was like um, when you first saw Lamborghini and how that all started out for you. Uh, you know, um, um, the, the priest of my village, which is uh, 20 kilometers away from Santagata, was born in Santagata, and he did all his activity at my village in Casumaro. So one day, he, he, I mean, I was playing, uh, you call it table soccer or something like that, and, uh, and he came to me, and a friend of mine, and he said, I have to go to Santagata visiting my parents. If you want to join me, we can go together. And then, uh, so instead of staying here playing soccer, table soccer, you know, you come with me and you see different things. And this is what we, we decided. We went with the priest on his Fiat 500. And when we, we went uh, in, um, facing Lamborghini Automobili, I told the priest, wow, beautiful cars over there. Your way back. So, you know, I went inside the company, which was completely open on those days, and I started looking at those beautiful mirror bodies, which were just downloading from the, from the big truck coming from Torino, from Bertone. You know, Bertone was assembling the Mura, and he was bringing, and the transporter, which was a good friend of mine, was bringing the cars to the company. Sure. And this was the day when I saw the beautiful body, mural bodies outside, you know, on the parking uh, lot. And uh, Had you ever seen anything like this before? Was this like the first time seeing a car like this? Never seen before, even if I always heard about talking Lamborghini, but I never seen in person a car before that day. So it moved you. When you first saw the car, you were like, I need to go take a look at those, or what happened next? Yes, you know, and, and next happened that I was looking at those cars, and a guy, a, guy, a guy came out of the company, and he started pushing the bodies inside, the company because it was the body were on a trolley, you know, kind of small trolley. Mm -hmm. And he started pushing the car inside and instantly I started helping him and talking to him and you know, we brought inside the first car, the second, the third, but when I came out by myself after we pushed the last one, the man at the gate started, you know, like kind of playing with me, saying, what are you doing here? You are not an employee. You shouldn't be inside. 
you know, it, it made me feeling very, very bad. And, you know, it, the guy was joking, really. And after a couple of minutes, he handed me over an employment form. And he told me, okay, fill it up because we need young people working here. So I filled up an employment form. And after a week, I got a letter from Lamborghini. Show up, you know, you will, uh, we will make a, you know, kind of test and you will start working here. This is how it started. Wow. How old are you at this time? <laughs> well, this was April uh, 1968, 21st April 1968, when I, when I started working at Lamborghini. And, uh, you know, after a few hours, I was at the company. <laughs> me and my friend, me and my friend in our office talking to the general director, which was in charge of production, financial. I mean, he was in charge of everything. And this executive was, this director, director was asking us, what can you do? And what, I mean, what is your experience? And we said, well, I mean, we have no experience. We just finished the school and we are here, uh, you know, ready to start something. And suddenly the door of the office opens and the guy comes in halfway smoking a cigarette, yelling to the director saying, hey guys, you already wasted too much time. We don't need people to talk. We need people to work. And he slams the door and he goes away. And the guy tells us, you just met Ferruccio Lamborghini. This was my first time I saw him after two hours. I was my first day at the company. So wow. imagine that. <laughs> so he comes out of the door and you're like, oh my gosh, that's my new boss? <laughs> well, this is what, <laughs> this is what we said. We, this is what we thought. Mamma mia, this is a terrible. I mean, we met the owner of the company after one hour <laughs> being there, you know, and uh, this is how it started. So what is like the what is the national feel of Lamborghini at this time? So like how how big is Lamborghini in terms of does everybody in Italy know about Lamborghini at this time or is it kind of a smaller company still? Well, on those days, Lamborghini, well, let's say Lamborghini, Ferruccio Lamborghini was already a popular industrial with the tractors because we built, you know, tractor company, uh, air conditioning, hydraulic company. I mean, he had a couple of beautiful, uh, you know, prosperous companies around the area. And uh, he was very well known. And then the cars company, Automobile Lamborghini, was the last company he built. And, you know, it was growing up, you know, because the company started in 63, was officially founded in 1963, and, you know, this happened on 68. So when I started, I was number 88 on my, on my time card, you know, I was number 88, and I wow. think altogether, altogether, maybe under 20, under 30 people. Sure. So, um... What are you doing with Lamborghini at this time? So you got your apprenticeship, you're there. What is a typical day for Valentino Balboni at Lamborghini in 1968? Well, I was I was employed as an apprentice because on those days, you know, it was it was normal to be employed as apprentice. So you know, I was helping the mechanics. I was cleaning the tools of the mechanic, wiping the floors, washing the cars, you know, I'm talking about uh, customer service because 
I was my first work was in a, in a customer service. So you know, cars coming from inspection, from customer, cars already on the road, previously delivered, coming back for service, and I was helping the mechanic doing you know this kind of thing, changing the oil, changing the filter, but mainly washing the car and being you know old mechanic server apprentice towards a server of the old mechanic. So what was the working environment like? What was the shop like at the time, like, as, as you're there during the day? Well, you know, it was a nice place to work, clean. It's always very clean. And we had, uh, let's say, 10, 15 mechanics working on the cars uh, in, a, in a dedicated uh, service area, which was uh, assistance cliente, service department, you know, customer service, customer care, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, yes, nice place with uh, four or five, you know, um, lifts for the cars to work on the cars. You know, on those days, it was still possible to work uh, on the car with, with a lift. And this is what uh, we, we used to do. So what did you, how did you end up going from being an apprentice to actually driving Lamborghinis? That must have been kind of an interesting transition. It was a very special transition, I tell you, <laughs> because, because uh, you know, apprentices were supposed to push outside the cars in the morning to give place to work on other cars and bring the car back inside at night, you know, before leaving the company. But instead of pushing the car as you were supposed to do an apprentice, I was driving the car two, three times around the buildings. And this I was not supposed to do. And in the morning, same thing. Instead of going outside and leave the car outside, I was driving two, three times around the two buildings existing over those days. And what cars are these that you're driving at this time? What, which which cars? Well, Miura 350 GT, 400 GT. Okay. This was the first approach to <laughs> to, to the Lamborghini models. Right. Uh, so you're driving these cars around. How did you evolve from driving the cars around the shop to, I mean, it was, you weren't supposed to be doing that, right? I mean, you were supposed to be kind of just moving around. Did you get in trouble at all? Well, of course I got in trouble because I was <laughs> not supposed to do. And I tell you something else. On those days, I had no driving license. Of course I was not driving. <laughs> Of course, I was not driving the cars on a public road. I mean, I was driving the car inside the company. So I learned how to drive in, with the Lamborghini inside the company. And I got my driving license when I was Army a couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of years later. You have to be the only person who has learned to drive in a Lamborghini. <laughs> well, I... Sometimes when I think how it happened, you know, I tell myself, but this, is that really true? Did this really happen? I mean, and this is what really happened, I tell you, because, because I mean, uh, uh, I had no driving license when I started driving the Lamborghini around the buildings, and this <laughs> was, uh, was the, best, uh, the best, you know, way of, of learning how to drive. So you got your driver's license um, through the army, as you said. Now, how did you end up actually being able to drive these cars out on the street officially? Like, how did you? How did what? What was the conversation that like that was like? 
Mr. Balboni, I need you to take this car out. I need you to take out this Mira, drive it on the road and tell us what you think. How did you get from, how did you get there? Okay, well, listen, this was, let's say, a very, I don't want to say easy, but I was fortunate because the company was growing up, uh, production was increasing, and at a certain point, was necessary for the company to have uh, two different, two new test drivers trained. And so one day, my boss calls me, you know, and he said to me, we have to go upstairs because Ferruccio Lamborghini and the general director needs to talk to you. So I was afraid because <laughs> I, was, I was thinking this is the time that they fire me because I was keeping driving around the buildings and I wasn't supposed to do. And, uh, but this time, uh, Ferruccio Lamborghini and Engineer Tanzani, my first general director, uh, told me, well, we need to train uh, two young test drivers. And since you keep driving around the building and you are not supposed to do, we want to see if you have the attitude to become eventually a test driver. <laughs> and this is, and this, is how, <laughs> this is how it started. Well, that's quite a contrast to being fired, I must say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This, <laughs> this was another of those days that you will never forget in your life. So... How did you get trained in to be a test driver then? What did they do for you to, to get you behind the wheel officially? So uh, practically the first year after that day, uh, Bob Wallace was my, my teacher, my tutor, my instructor. I was spending days long with him driving the car. He was, uh, you know, a research and development test driver. So I was, we used to go with him testing the cars, you know, uh, helping him and, you know, of course, driving and he was giving us lessons on how things are, you know, how the car was reacting, you know, he was teaching me and my friends. Sure. Did, did you feel like you had some sort of skill initially that was in, inherent or is it something that you learned? I tell you, I think I was naturally, <laughs> maybe I was naturally, let's say, prepared or, or keen to do this kind of thing because it was so interesting and everything came automatically on me. I mean, the test driver has to, has to be sense, I mean, uh, uh, works on sensibility, works on, on feelings, and, uh, you know, uh, works on reaction from the car. And I think, uh, I think I had these, let's say, attitudes. And uh, with Bob, it was easy to develop those attitudes because he was a genius in terms of uh, driving and teaching and, uh, and uh, yes. So what do you think is the biggest lesson you learned from Bob Wallace as a test driver? Mechanical, uh, how the car works, how the car reacts, how the car changes um, in, in based on, on uh, you know, changing of suspension geometry or, or engine output. You know, it was uh, uh, a lot of things getting together, not only one, but many, many different things getting together. And uh, yes, so, so you learn... Slowly, slowly, you build kind of, uh, let's say, uh, 
feelings and you understand, you know what the car is saying or telling you in other words. What was the first car that you test drove by yourself for Lamborghini? Good question. <laughs> well, you know, in uh, September 5, 1973, that was my first time I was out of the company that say officially in charge of testing a Miura, and this Miura was one of the last Miura uh, SV on production. Chassis number 5110, <laughs> I still remember, a black Miura. And this was the first time I was out on the road uh, by myself, and I was astonished, and I was so afraid of damaging the car or going too fast. I mean, I was really feeling, you know, uh, afraid of the car. I mean, I was impressed of the power. Uh, uh, you know, it was not a good experience because, you know, every time I was approaching <laughs> a bend or a curve, I was afraid to go too fast, <laughs> but in effect, it was very, very slow. Um, so as time went on, how did that change? What what did you um, what did you start looking for on each car as as the years went on? You know, uh, a production test driver has to make sure that everything works. You know, everything is as expected. You know, engine power, uh, transmission. He has to check the brakes. I mean, a general overview of the car, which means. Uh, mechanical, I mean, how the car works, how the car acts, you know, it has to make sure that the car is within the standard, uh, within the standard uh, accepted of the car, within within the delivered standard. So did you ever have to take one of these cars back and go, sorry, guys, this isn't going to work? Like, was it tough to finally go back to one of the engineers and tell them they had to change the development of the car because it didn't feel right on the road? Let's say we have, yes, it happened a few times during the production, you know, an engine is, uh, let's say, misfiring or, or it breaks down. Uh, uh, we had some problem, but this is normal during, during you know, testing of the car. Sure. Uh, yeah, this is normal. So we had to, let's say, do something, but normally the development test driver is the one and this came later for me, uh, talking to the engineer, you know, a, de a development test driver has to work every second with the development engineer and transfer the reaction of the car to the engineer so to, get to, the, to, so to go to the point where we want to go in terms of power, in terms of uh, uh, drivability, in terms of, uh, I mean, everything, uh, uh, functionality, and so on. So over the course of time, did your opinion at Lamborghini, how much did it change? Because obviously when you first started, if you would have went, hey, I, I think this, this car needs this, that, or the other thing, is a lot different than in 1973 than it was in 1994. So how did your, how much pull and how much development control did you have based on your test driving? Uh, on those days, on those days, you know, the test driver, the man, was the only link between the car and the de development engineer. Uh, 
So the sensibility of the man was very important and the understanding, the explanation to the, to the engineer was also very important. So, you know, at a certain point you reach a kind of uh, understanding, you know, with words or with, uh, you know, hands movement, you explain to the engineer how the car reacts, if it's oversteering or understeering too much or what it's necessary to do to change. And together, you know, we go to that, uh, you know, point where we want to go to make the car easy to drive. I mean, to make the car as, as expected to be. So there wasn't like a test track back in the day. Where are you taking these cars? Where are you driving? Where's the testing going on? Uh, 90% of the uh, development of a prototype on those days was done on the roads around Santagata. <laughs> uh, on the mountains around Santagata, you know, everywhere. And then the final touch, the final, you know, uh, uh, tuning, fine tuning was done on the racetrack, you know, where we had to really fine-tune the suspension, especially in the frame. Um, so was it the same roads every... Because obviously you want the car to... You want to make sure every car feels the same. Are you out just driving on the same road every single time? More or less same area, same roads, yes. I would say 80% <laughs> was done on the same road because this helps also seeing... Let's say when you do some uh, changes on on the settings, it's it's easier to understand, and you have you have a a constant uh, let's say base where you can see the difference approaching uh, the same uh, curve or at the same speed. You know, see the difference of the car. Sure. I mean, driving car on the same condition it helps a lot because you see exactly the difference. Did you ever have any accidents or crashes out on these test drives? Oh, thanks God, not too many and <laughs> always very minor things. It happens uh, one time where I totaled the Countach and uh, yes, this was, let's say, the major big accident. And then uh, a few <laughs> other minor, but you know. What happened? What, <laughs> what happened? Well, I would say that I've been very lucky. Well, you know, with the Kuntech, it was, uh, yeah, this was a big accident because, you know, I was testing the car after we did the first service on the car, which is, you know, those days after 1,000 kilometers, the car was brand new, a beautiful red Kuntech, uh, an early morning in May in our countryside where it is, Exceptional light, uh, I mean sun, uh, spring coming, red car, lights on, and the guy decided to cross my way. Oh, no. To cross my road. Yes, you know, with a small truck. <laughs> and then, uh, and then unfortunately, the car starts rolling over and he ends up in a, in a electricity pole and it gets into pieces, you know, engine one side and the rest on the other side. Wow. And, and you're obviously you're okay. <laughs> yes. Thank God again, nothing happened to me and nothing happened to the guy. And I thought, you know, while rolling, I, I was thinking, geez, I hope nothing happened serious because the owner is waiting for the car to be delivered. 
but the card was totally, total, total. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get wow. a card delivered to him that day. So what is the, what's your most memorable test drive experience of your entire time working at Lamborghini? Probably not that uh, one. I'm, let's let's go with a <laughs> let's go with a positive test driving experience. Well, you know, every day during during testing, you know, you have uh, you have new experience. Every day is a new day. You have uh, always you learn more because you you get more familiar with the car. You get more familiar with yourself. Uh, so I mean, there are always. Um, let's say special experience you know when you see the changes you did on the car when you see that before it was a problem and you get and you gave the right suggestion to the engineer or the, the right direction to the mechanics this is what rewards you know the, the work you know the, the test driver and the mechanic together they get a result I'm curious too. Did you ever, in those early days, have run-ins with the carabinieri, the local police? Carabinieri and police are good friends. When you are <laughs> locally, they we know each other. You know, they know that we are working. Of course, we respect uh, we respect uh, the rules. Of course, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of uh, nice, uh, let's say, getting together. So when you saw the Countach for the first time, what were your thoughts? Because that was a big shift for Lamborghini. What was your first impressions of that car? When first time I saw the Countach uh, with um, the engineer Sansani, my director, I said to him, engineer, we will never go with this car on the road because this is uh, an UFO. I told him this is an unidentified flying object. <laughs> I, I said to him, it will be impossible to go on the road with this car because it's too much futuristic. <laughs> so what does the word Countach mean in English? Is there like a translation? Uh, it's an expression of... Uh, uh, of wonder, you know, is an expression of uh, something, you know, astonishing, something special, and comes from a, a dialect uh, Piemontese. And it comes from a, a mechanic who is working with Bertone. And this mechanic was always, you know, uh, upset because, I mean, it was a lot to work and he was kind of yelling. And, the, you know, this name is is, uh, you know, an expression of something very, very special. So what was the Countach like to drive, and how was it different from anything Lamborghini had done before? LP400 Countach, the first, the first version, was, <laughs> we can say today, a nightmare to drive, because with, uh, you know, even with the best material and brakes of those days, the car had a very poor braking system. The car had a very poor drivability because, you know, the rear weight and the high-profile tires making the car always, even on the straight, even always oversteering, you know, so you had always to control the car because it was kind of constant oversteering. Do you only know that now because of of your experience on modern cars, or did you feel the same way back then? No, 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 same way. <laughs> same way back then because, you know, it was very difficult to keep the car on the road. 
but you know we did and uh, uh, I mean I have a lot of respect for the Contes you know Contes was a kind of uh, and he still is an icon for Lamborghini Lamborghini became became famous because of the Contes when the Contes came out with these scissor doors you know nobody had nobody had this kind of uh, uh, let's say style and it was a challenge for for everybody else you know with those doors uh, and the style of the car was uh, was an impressive car and then you know when uh, with the Kuntz LP 400s we changed the suspension geometry Pirelli finally developed uh, low profile tires and the world changed because because the car was definitely 100% better and pleasant to drive, safer, bigger brakes uh, because of bigger rims. You know, everything was uh, improved and the car changed uh, totally. So um, how did the later Countach uh, compare in terms of performance to that? Was just like miles better? Like there, what the, the last one was the, the Quattro Valve, right? The, the four valve? Correct, correct. The engine, Quattro Valvole, was definitely the most powerful engine for Juntas, you know, 455 horsepower on those days was a huge amount of power. And with carburetors, you know, which is uh, magic. And uh, yes, and the last version was the 25th anniversary to, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the of the Lamborghini company with a four with a four valve engine and uh, you know this kind of power and mechanically in general in general was the best we had so I remember hearing a story about the Countach that you were basically the first one to figure out the proper way to back them up because of course they were <laughs> impossible to see out of through the rear so how did you come up with that <laughs> well this was uh, uh, yeah, this was something that I developed myself, you know, since I had to move cars all every day at the company going in and out and parking. You know, I tried uh, sitting on the door sill, which gives you head out of the car and you can look around all four corners of the car and you can read the pedals, you can read the gear lever <laughs> and you can move the car and this was... Uh, and still is an astonishing way of parking the car. Even today, when it happens to park a car in a town or somewhere, and you know, open the door, sit on the on the door sills, you know, the lower panel, and you put your head out and you hang on on the steering wheel and on the body, then people are really. I mean, it's a big, big show. <laughs> Everybody thinks you're you're just crazy. So over. Um, over the course of years, obviously, you've driven driven many cars that aren't Lamborghinis, too. What when you get into a car and you drive it, are, do you find yourself constantly like thinking about whether a car is good or not? Even if it's like a rental car, are you just like constantly analyzing how good or bad something is? You mean when I drive a normal, normal car? Yeah, just anything. <laughs> are you test driving everything all the time? Well, let's say, um, um, how can I say, to concentrate on every car helps keeping sensation alive and building new sensation and understanding uh, and learning new things, you know, especially in a modern car. 
Sono all the car act, ABS, uh, electronic stability, and and then I mean there is always something interesting. Even when I drive a normal Fiat uh, uh, 500 or something, it's always something interesting because because I get the feelings, you know, and uh, and you know I say normally, Jesus, how lucky I was to develop and test a Miura instead of a Fiat 500. <laughs> So um, the rumor is that Ferruccio's secretary was a key person at the company. Um, do you have any details on her or what people are talking about when they say that? Well, uh, I don't really agree on that. Let's say uh, Ferruccio Lamborghini mainly had the one assistant, which is a very, very good lady, and uh, uh, she was working with him, but... Uh, she was not definitely, I don't think Ingrid was uh, affecting uh, Ferruccio, Ferruccio Lamborghini decisions. Okay. She, is, she has everything on her mind. She remembers everything. She does uh, every customer, every small detail, but I don't think she ever affected Ferruccio Lamborghini in terms of decisions or life or whatever. Sure. So, Ferruccio... What kind of man was he? Like, if you were to explain, like, I, obviously I've never met him. So what was, what was he like? Well, Ferruccio, typical uh, local farmer, you know, in terms of culture and mentality. But, you know, his biggest attitude was to motivate people, convince people, uh, challenge everybody. And uh, he always wanted to do something different from everybody else. And he was lucky to find the right people. He was, this was, he was a genius looking for nice people, for, for the right people to do what he wanted to do. This is, uh, this is in easy words what he wanted, what he, what he was, you know. A very good guy. He was always motivating us, uh, working. He was um, always with us, you know, especially uh, at the beginning when we delivered the first Miura, you know, and he was always, always late because something was wrong, something was not uh, available. So, you know, we worked uh, till uh, late night and Ferruccio Lamborghini was always there uh, with us helping and entertaining the customer while we were working on the cars. So, um... <laughs> As uh, when he passed away in the '80s, how did Lamborghini change? How did the culture change when he was gone? Uh, well, you know, when he passed away, he already sold the company. Uh, he was no longer owner of the company. But uh, I mean, uh, we had uh, we had a big celebration with Ferruccio when 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 he passed away. I mean, the company, of course, it changed in mentality. Because the time changes, and you know, sooner or later, you have to update culture and mentality and production and product on uh, the modern times. So, Lamborghini came out with the uh, the Gallardo LP five fifty two VB. What is that car? Tell us about that car. <laughs> uh, well, I, it's a car that I know. Uh, <laughs> Yes, well, this came out, uh, you know, um, when Audi, Audi is now the owner of the company. Audi bought Lamborghini a long time ago, and uh, definitely life of Lamborghini changed. 
because you know Audi brought uh, a lot of technology and finally after a couple of uh, several uh, different new ownership we ended up on a, on a right perfect ownership for a company like Lamborghini so you know after uh, they, they developed the Gallardo they developed the Huracan Aventador and uh, they completed the Diablo production and you know the Gallardo LP552 Valentino Balboni edition was, uh, let's say, a kind of uh, using my name as a link from the for the you know for the original root of the company uh, uh, in in the 70s and the modern company in in these times in these years and using me was kind of. Uh, you know, going back to the two-wheel drive after 17 or 18 years of four-wheel drive because Lamborghini came out with the Diablo in 93 with the four-wheel drive, which which was a revolutionary, let's say, technology applied on a sport car. And since then, it was always four-wheel drive. And on 2008-2009, Lamborghini decided to to go back to the two-wheel drive, and the Gallardo was the first car after so many years going back to the two-wheel drive. You must have been really happy that they were finally going back to two-wheel drive, because you're not like two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. I mean, obviously, you prefer two-wheel drive. (laughs) Of course, I prefer two-wheel drive, yes. I was born and grew up on two-wheel drive, and at the beginning when we had to develop when I started developing the four-wheel drive, I was so against the project and the idea. <laughs> but slowly, slowly, I tell you, I had to change my mind because the way Lamborghini developed the four-wheel drive on the Diablo was amazing. And at the end of the of the development, Jesus, the speed on the on the curves, you know, the drivability was amazing. And I had to change my mind, but the real sport car definitely, uh, you know, when we went to the two-wheel drive with the Gallardo, going back to the old feelings and old reactions, this was uh, uh, another, another, let's say, amazing, amazing situation that we experienced. So in the same vein as four-wheel drive coming along when, you know, kind of Volkswagen took over, now we're starting to see like the new Lamborghini has a hybrid system with the V12. Do you have like any apprehension with hybrid and like electrification on the new Lamborghinis? Uh, this <laughs> this subject is a modern actual subject. Uh, I don't know if I have if I can say that I'm happy to be out of this development or not. But uh, you know, in any case, future will be will be like this hybrid. Uh, I was lucky to be to be with Lamborghini on the right times <laughs> and doing doing the right things. I have a lot of respect for the modern technology. Uh, I agree on those kind of projects, <laughs> but you know I'm happy to look those projects and that development from outsider as an outsider. <laughs> what are you up to now, and what's keeping you busy? What are you doing with your time away from Lamborghini? Away from Lamborghini, well, away from Lamborghini, not much because I'm still, uh, <laughs> I still uh, love to do what I always did in my life, you know, taking care of Lamborghini, working, you know, with customers, and especially 
restoring uh, restoring those cars that we built uh, 50 years ago. Uh, with a couple of friends from old times, we grow up together, working, and now, for no reasons, we 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 are still together, uh, uh, you know, restoring Europe. And what is amazing, sometimes we find our initials on the cars that we assembled 50 years ago, and we see. I mean, it's amazing when uh, we find out a few days ago, a week ago, I was working on a Miura, and till I found out my, my initial, I said, amazing, you know, 50 years ago I assembled this car, and now I'm working on the same car. This is an extraordinary... What's also extraordinary uh, is that you've, the, the word is that you've driven almost every Lamborghini out there. So no doubt you've got your initials on the car, but you also have driven all these cars. So when you're out and you see a Lamborghini or you see a Mira or something, you immediately have a connection with that car because you've probably already driven it. Yes, yes. You know, when I see a Mira around, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's it's such a pleasure to see those cars. And it's amazing to to see how people care about those cars which is history, which is, uh, you know, life for us. When you first saw the Mira, did you ever think it would be, become as loved and cherished as it is? As You know, that car is often thought as one of the most beautiful cars ever made. Did you know and feel that at the time? Absolutely not. No one of us on those days thought that after 50 years, the value of those cars you know, uh, I mean, still there. We never thought about that. I mean, personally, I never thought that in 50 years <laughs> the, the cars will be considered and loved like they are today. Do you think it's uh, a better that they've become such an icon, or would you rather have seen them be less popular and still be driven around more? Because they don't get driven as much anymore. Which would you prefer? I like I like people driving the cars. You know, they are collectors today that they want to have the car perfect restored and they use the car once a year or twice a year maybe. They like to see the cars on the garage, <laughs> nice looking. But, you know, I always suggest and I always invite the owners, the collectors, Please enjoy driving this car. This is a car that has to be driven. You will enjoy more driving the car than looking at the car standing on your garage, you know, because still today, after 50 years, I I mean, driving a Miura, it's like a first time. It's always a huge, you know, reward, uh, beautiful sensation. I really want to just say thank you for coming on the podcast. I, I really, really appreciate it. And I, I hope I get to meet you someday and, and shake your hand and, and spend some time with you in person. And, you know, thanks for everything you've done for the, the car culture and, and, uh, and driving in general and being such a, a legendary part of, of a legendary manufacturer. And it's, um, it's truly a charmed story. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Thank you very much. No, I thank you for, for this opportunity you gave me. And I tell you, I will keep doing <laughs> what, I, what I always did all my life as long as I can until my last breath, I tell you. That's excellent. That's excellent. Thank Thanks you so a lot. much. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Before we move along, just want to again remind people about this special contest we're running for the month of March. Eyes Up Auto Art is letting us give away a custom commission painting of your car. And speaking of uh, Valentino Balboni, if you happen to have a Mira, let us know and tag us with that because that would probably win. Yeah. I, I'm sure we would choose that one just on principle. Um, but they've done some really cool work for instance, they've done uh, work for Audi's race team. They have a cool one with Magnus Walker and countless others. Um, Zachary Carroll is the guy behind the brand and the brush, as I like to say. And I really like how they say their mission is to help memorialize people's memorialize people's cars they no longer have, to celebrate ones they do, or to make a dream more tangible, such as perhaps a mural. Uh, so for your chance to win this custom commissioned painting of your car, post a photo of your car on Instagram and tag both Overcrest Podcast and Eyes Up Auto Art. One lucky winner will then get an awesome custom painting and we'll announce that at the end of the month. That was amazing. I can't thank him enough for, for calling in and yeah, that was our, really cool. One of our listeners that tipped us off and it, it's really incredible. And I, it just goes to show who's listening and the reach and like what everything that you guys have done to help make this podcast great. It's you guys. And absolutely. Thank you. And thank you to Valentino for coming on. And what a legend. What a story. I love that he came across his own initials in the car that yes. he worked on 50 years ago. That's great. I'll, I'll never I'll, I'll come across like my report card from fifth grade <laughs> with mostly C's and D's. That's what I'll come across someday. Not nearly as exciting. No, not impressive. at all. Not at all. Although maybe someday someone will find a magazine of mine. Maybe I'll find like some old feature maybe? in a performance Volkswagen magazine like <laughs> dirty under somebody's workbench someday. The, That's the, the difference I'll ever come. That issue won't be worth nearly as much as that Mira is <laughs> no. that he's helping to restore. No, not, in, <laughs> not unless something like I get abducted by aliens get turned into a genius or something like that. It's never going to happen. So yes. and um, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, guys. I, uh, I'm not sure what we got going on next week, but we do have some great guests coming up. And uh, as always, hop over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Absolutely. Um, that'd be really, really great. That would help us out. And uh, that's it, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. And thank you very much again. Take care. Bye.